Welcome back or welcome to the Single Trek Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and this is another episode of the Long Run Archives. Now, if you are new to the podcast, this is a recurring series where I'm joined by my friend Brett Hornig and sometimes a special guest. And basically, we pretend that we're out on a long run shooting the shit, discussing any interesting ideas or hot topics around the sport of trail running. And in this episode, Brett and I are joined by Luke Webster, photographer and overall awesome creator for some of the most prominent brands in our sport. We talk about getting mountain ultra trail running in the Olympics, the chaos and confusion around the UTMB World Series, we debate interesting futuristic race coverage ideas and also whether pro trail runners should have agents. Before we get started though, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting Single Track with a rating and review on Apple or Spotify, a small donation on Patreon, or the use of our discount codes, all of which are linked in the show notes with Inside Tracker, Gnarly Nutrition, and Kodiak Kicks. As always, thank you so much for your consideration. Above all else, thank you so much for listening. Your support means everything. And uh, yeah, so with that, let's get on with the show. This is, I think, our seventh edition of the Long Run Archives. I'm joined by my frequent co-host, Brett Hornig. Brett, what is up in the former trail mecca of Ashland, Oregon? I don't know if I'd say former. Might still be. Um it's like still summertime here. It's like almost 90 degrees today. So getting some good, uh, late fall javelina training in. And we are also joined by a special guest, the one and only Luke Webster for frequent listeners of the pod. You know, that since the sixth edition of the long run archives, we've been having special guests join last time. It was Jeff Colt. This time it's Luke. Luke, it's great to have you for anybody in the audience that, is not familiar with your involvement in our sport. Can you give like a one to two minute elevator pitch? Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Finn. I think uh, the real reason I'm on here is that I somehow got your phone number and decided to have a conversation with you about running and we just couldn't stop talking. So I think that's the real reason, but um, I've worked in and around kind of the running trail running world um, for the last four or five years, kind of mainly as a freelance photographer and film producer and director and just kind of in the greater media landscape. And so always curious to see what is happening in a sport and how we're kind of growing and adapting and what the future is. So also I run probably not as, as much as a uh, Finn and Brett, but definitely run a lot and, and love the sport as a whole. And I, I gotta say, I, I feel like photographers, in addition to doing some of the most important work in our sport, you are privy to some of the most interesting conversations in our sport just by nature of being embedded with the athlete managers the athletes themselves anybody else that is working behind the scenes so um for that reason among others i think this is going to be an awesome episode and also i should say you supplied all of the topics for this this edition so for that we are thankful as well the first one that you gave us is around the olympics and i think you said as a thought experiment what needs to change in our sport to get us to a place where mountain ultra trail could be considered for, let's just say the 2028 games or the 2032 games or at some point in the future. So uh, Luke, you want to kick us off there? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a, like I said, it's an interesting thought experiment, right? Like you talk to any, 
any high level performing athlete and and the the ultimate goal is always the olympics right like pretty much across the board um and so i previously worked a lot in the climbing realm and kind of walked with that sport as it got accredited and then kind of got into the olympics this last time and the drama that that kind of brought up into the sport and kind of the similarities and differences between climbing and trail running um yeah i think there's a lot of different things that are interesting but like the first thing that comes to mind of like what needs to change is is what is trail running i think that for me is kind of like the first question of our sport and i think one thing that probably europeans and americans would disagree on um america loves our hundred milers and europe loves its faster more kind of background in the mountains sky racing stuff um yeah so i I think that would be the first is like can we all agree upon a format um and what should that format be like do you guys have an opinion should it be the hundred miler from a format perspective or should it be golden trail series style racing I mean, shoot, I've always, I've thought about like trail running in the Olympics so much and all the different scenarios that could play out. Um, I've never once actually like thought to like, just Google, what does it take to become an Olympic sport, which uh, a little deep dive on that and actually learned a few things, but I always thought it would be really cool for whoever the host is to kind of determine what the trail running event might be. Um, you know, because there almost could be some sort of trail race of some sort, you know, in any, any of the past, you know, quite a few Olympic venues, uh, some of them you might have to get creative, but I think more so than that, like it almost, I think, I feel like it almost doesn't matter what the trail, it could be 10, 10 K loops on some sort of pre-made course and when you package the story correctly and you know tell the story correctly it becomes exciting um so i i feel like the biggest step is just like there need we got to throw something at the international olympic committee Mm. could the 100 miler be exciting enough like from a a, like popularity standpoint i feel like it could Um, but not probably not in the way that it's current, like the way that, um, like the Olympics package, the marathon, I mean, it's so much shorter than a hundred mile, but for the most part, they just have a camera showing people running for two and a half hours. And that's actually pretty boring until the very last bit. If they did that for a hundred mile, like the viewer ratings would be awful. Um, so I think it, I think there, there needs to be a lot of storytelling and like, they need to find a way to capture all of the little drama and just pieces of disaster that happen over the course of a race um, and figure out how to tell those small stories as well as having all the content beforehand of like, how did this person even get to where they are? Cause there, there would essentially be so much downtime in between. Me personally, I'm a huge, I mean, my heart totally goes to anything 100K and above, especially if it's point to point or it's a loop course and there's some sort of like uh, running equivalent of the hero's journey involved. But one of the biggest, I'll call it revelations that I've had in the past three months is how much of a growth opportunity there is, especially among elite athletes in the sub ultra distances. And especially a lot of these crossover athletes that are like Olympic Nordic skiers 
And so when I doing like the Broken Arrow 26K, for example, like Sophia Lockley is a great example. And a part of me wonders if we chose that distance or like a U, uh, like a European sky running type format as the default, as like the first test, that would allow a lot more athletes of her caliber and of her interests to maybe even use that as like a second or third option uh, from a training standpoint without sacrificing too much uh, in like an inaugural year. So for example, if like something is not going right in uh, like their Nordic training or something like that, they can easily and very quickly bounce over to like training for a mountain 26K. Whereas I feel like you really need like a true like Olympic cycle or like three or four years investment to make that transition if you were doing like a hundred mile event. Although the training theory part is not exactly my, my forte. That's just more of a speculation. Right. I think it's interesting. Like I think even the word trail running is so subjective to the person saying it. Like we all say trail running. I think that a lot of times we've made that synonymous with ultra running, but maybe to our own detriment as a sport. And so I think like, yeah, I think what you're saying with a shorter distance is I think right on the mark. Um, going back to what you said, Brett, I think the distance does matter because like climbing had this whole kind of drama that it was climbing as bouldering, climbing as speed, climbing as lead. And those are like very different disciplines. It's like saying a VK, a hundred miler, and I don't know, like sky running all in the same, same athlete and spread out. Um, and like, they're totally different sides of the sport that mean you're very broad runner, but maybe not necessarily like the best. Um, and so I think like from like a, I think in a format, like you're saying, Finn, it's like a shorter open to more people that like we can all get behind that also from a content perspective can be really interesting. I think of just like sky racing in general, like the Olympics wants viewership. They want the sports coming in to bring in a huge population. Like the reason they brought climbing, surfing, skating in is because that's like a new generation of viewership and with the Olympics potentially dying out in the next eight to 12 years, Beijing was the least watched Olympics to date. Yeah. They're looking for like sports to reinvigorate this like kind of archaic model. Um, so I think trailing would have to offer a different side of that. And I think it does automatically like that is there's no sports that involve kind of mountain in the summer Olympics in the sense, mountain mud, that whole different side of outdoor sports. I think from a, like very like, logistical standpoint we need an international sports federation which i'm not do we have that like an There's isc no governing body yeah really and it needs to have a really strong and like that's the one premise it needs to have really strong anti-doping um things in place across all sports each continent needs to have their own governing body underneath the ifsc or the ifc ifs or i guess tr drawing mm-hmm. um and another thing is just like popularity like we need to get more people to watch the sport in a format that like outside of the Olympics already has proven itself. So like a series like Cirque series or golden trail series that kind of the sport gets behind. So maybe, mm. maybe one of those series is a, new, a good step in the right direction. I definitely have uh, some thoughts like, well, <laughs> the, the first, like just, just hearing what you're saying, like even just pa- in packaging the event, I would just call it like, if they were to say be two, I would have the short mountain race and the long mountain race because mountain race, that just immediately sounds intriguing and a little bit more extreme than just trail running or trail race or some distance, like 80K trail race, just short mountain race. 
long mountain race. And people are like, oh, I would love to go see humans race on a mountain and, you know, ultimately to capture some, you know, the Olympics is where a lot of people learn about a sport that they've never watched or even thought of in their lives. So like that could be a great growth opportunity for trail running Mm -hmm. um, to capture, you know, new viewership. Um, The one thing too, that you get from mountain racing is visually very stunning, you know, courses, people will watch you like most fast road marathon courses are the same. It's flat and it goes through a city and then it finishes in front of a big building. Um, mountain racing, you have this opportunity for, you know, like drones to be capturing runners going along a ridge line and just showing perhaps maybe the beauty of the area that's hosting the Olympics. Like there's, I don't know, just, we need to write this letter to the IOC because apparently that's one of the parts is you need to write a letter to the IOC and at least just kind of pitch to them why it's a beneficial sport. And then it has to get recognized by the, the IOC, which is the international Olympic committee. They need to recognize it as a sport. And there's a few guidelines, not too many. I mean, one's like, it can't be like a purely mental sport mm. like chess or purely mechanical, like auto racing. So those aren't sports in the Olympics anymore. Um, and then one of the cool benefits of being recognized by the IOC is your sport now is subject to out of competition, random drug testing by, you know, by them, which would actually be like a really huge step forward for trail running in terms of its legitimacy. Cause right now it would be very easy to cheat and still run races and not get caught. Like it's, it would be so easy to do that. One thing I wanted to add here, it's, it's a little bit of a side tangent, but when I think about all of the current opportunities in our sport where individual athletes and teams can rally around what I'll call a geographic anchor, where in this case, they're representing a country, but in like other sports, you're representing a city like the Dallas Cowboys or the Los Angeles Lakers or Manchester United. In, in the few areas in our sport where we have that, like for example, the American teams that are going over to the World Mountain Running Championships, usually that strengthens fandom. It increases fans. It helps increase the growth of the sport. It doesn't seem like in running that has helped that much and people still pivot back to like, and we'll talk about it in a second, the UTMBs of the world. And so I guess I'm wondering here, does the Olympics, does the nature of the Olympics change any of that? Will we suddenly feel like more identity and connection and, and fandom towards like an American ultra running team. If, if assuming that we don't really see it to begin with, with like our current representative national teams on the international stage. Hmm. I mean, America loves winning medals in the Olympics. Like, <laughs> like I, I wonder, I, I've always questioned, do other countries even do the end of the day medal count? Like the U S does at the end of every single day of the Olympics. They're like, this is what the American medal count is at. I'm like, do the other countries even do that? So, not every day, but for the whole whole event, they don't win that many medals. <laughs> yeah, Us so, and Russia and trail trail running just one more opportunity for <laughs> Americans to get behind the total medal count. Brett, Brett, like Burkina Faso is just like refreshing the page. Like, yes, we got like a bronze medal. That's one. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think it would change kind of like where the focus of this. Maybe not, but it, it would change the focus, right? Like, I think the Olympics kind of questions what is the format. 
right? Like I think the interesting thing about trail running very different than any other sport is that every course is different. Like you can't be like, Oh, like my hundred mile time versus your hundred mile time. I'm better. Cause like the courses might be different and what the conditions were in that day. Like it's such a unique sport in which there isn't really a great ruler across of like what measures out best athletes. So I think it would, it would force the community to come together and kind of agree upon a distance that could be used as kind of a, I don't know, the, the banner for our sport, whether that be like a shorter distance 50 K or more sky running or even like the hundred miler. And I think that would, could then start changing the sport as a whole. I think, we see that now across, we're going to go talk about UCMB soon. Like we said across the board in the sport is that like, there are these different niches of athletes in trail running that view their style of running as the style. Um, and yet like as a whole, we're all trail runners, but there's still this like confusion of what counts and what is trail running. Especially when you start talking to like non trail runners, um, what they count and what they think of when they see it. I think like that's where races like the Cirque Series are really cool because they're bringing in new runners that maybe traditionally only thought trail running meant ultra running. And now for them, it's like, oh, no, you can do a half marathon trail race and it's equally as exciting and important as a ultra marathon. So it might help us like consolidate to like a standard maybe. Yeah, which I guess brings up the question of like, is that what the sport of trail running wants or needs? Like, is it better that there might be a, a committee by, you know, a group of people that maybe know nothing about trail running to be like, okay, the media broadcast wants a 45 minute mountain race and a two hour mountain race. That is now mountain running. Like as, as trail runners, is that, is that actually what we want or, Maybe, maybe we're, maybe we just, maybe our sport is too broad to be in the Olympics and we just need to create our own, which also hasn't really worked that well in creating like a unified uh, set of championships for various distances, which that's, I mean, that's been an increasing problem in the last few years of like, what is the short, so what is the sub ultra championship? What's the VK championship? What's the hundred mile championship? We don't really have that either so i kind of see various pros and cons of trail running potentially being in the olympics it seems to like the overarching trend to me in the last like 20 years i think for sports in general is that the private sector is overtaking the public sector in terms of like taking charge of making meaning and making experience through sports leagues and events and stuff like that and i i still think we're on that uh that upward curve, at least in terms of if you're a fan of the private sector and what what they can uh, make possible. But I think this is the perfect segue into UTMB. And, and Luke, your next your next uh, discussion point here, I think, revolves around just the chaos and confusion that is the next steps of UTMB. Like we we just came off a 2022 version of the event that I think a lot of people, myself included, I think Brett, maybe yourself, are d- deeming the most competitive UTMB ever. Like it was just an incredible event. It was incredibly stacked and it's only going to get more difficult to get in. I think elites, for example, competitors are getting a lot of mixed signals about how they're going to get in next year. And I think you're speculating here about whether this confusion and a removal of all the old processes are, are kind of going to sow the seeds of their downfall. So um, 
you want to lead us more into this discussion here? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, just kind of going off the Olympics as a, as a starting point, the sport doesn't have a race organization or any sort of understanding on like where we focus the pinnacle of our sporting, right? Like where do the best of the best compete and kind of like bring out the true meaning of competition in our sport, right? Like that's at the end of the day, kind of the goal of the sport or all sports. Um, and it's so like, you have hard rock and you have Western States and you have UTMB and those are kind of like, I think probably from grassroots, just like culture have become kind of the, the pinnacles of our sport in different ways. Um, but there are issues with all of them, right? Like you hard rock is who's the best that can get in that year. Kind of same with Western States. Um, and so UTMB is kind of, I think, been seen as this, this event that all the runners in the world, if they want, can come and compete at. And, and it truly is the best of the best. Um, and I think that's, I mean, before, before I got to the sport, that's kind of been the standard is UTMB is the greatest, you know, we all describe it to our non-trail running friends. As, oh yeah, that race, it's like the, the Olympics of trail running or like, you know, you, you, no one knows what it is. You just kind of have to contextualize it. Um, but it has been our Olympics. It's, it's been even like OCC, like I feel like has kind of come into its own element of like being the greatest 50K. Um, and we see now, I mean, it's been happening for a few years now, but kind of grumblings about how UTMB as an entity is kind of treating their growth and, and, and the way that they seek after growth and I would say monopolization of the sport and like this last kind of announcement going into the next 2023, um, I guess, qualification season um, kind of makes a lot of us feel pretty, uh, I don't know, just disenfranchised with the event of just realizing that they're really trying to funnel everyone into their series and, and make sure that if you are racing a race to get into UTMB, it's their race that they control and that they have monetized. Um, and I guess that might be just how sports grow, but it feels um, like a lot of runners as a whole are kind of just talking about is UTMB a necessity? And I think that's where for me, this conversation gets really interesting. It's like, if naturally UTMB continues to kind of try to monopolize and, and make it more challenging for athletes, will there be just a natural grassroots movement away from UTMB and, and maybe they go to Trans Grand Canaria or do other, other races kind of in the season or um, the South African trail race. That's really amazing. I'm blanking on the name of, um, or will there be another entity that pops up and says, Hey, we see this as an opportunity to be the center point of trail running UTMB get out of the way. Man, I hope they don't screw it up. (laughs) I I think next year is going to be like the crossroads year where they'll have a very, they'll have a decision to make because it just seems like they're now treating the way that, you know, elite runners get into UTMB. They're treating it the same way as, Hard Rock or Western States where you have to like go to these specific races to, you know, get in and that, and you know, so much like for Western States, like the golden tickets and everything like they, they had to very carefully figure out how many like elite spots to allocate because there's only 369 spots for the race. UTMB has like 9 million spots for the race. Like why, like, 
what's a what's a what's 300 spots for potential elite athletes and it just seems like they're trying to they're almost making it they're trying to make it seem more exclusive than i think it really is and i don't know if that's really going to change like the very top end you know say the top five at utmb but you know it might become easier in the next year to three years to say be in the top 50 at utmb whereas like you know this past year being in the top 50 is is a big deal um you know everyone in that top 50 is like they all have legit they're winning races um and with the new qualification system i just i don't see how that's gonna happen again and i think you know people will notice that um i guess the ultimate question is like will utmb care because uh, they're still going to sell out their race like the lottery is probably just going to continue to get bigger um and i guess the question is like if if it doesn't become a place where all the best mountain runners in the world all come and hang out for a week how much of a draw to the non-elite is that um you know to go to chamonix and like walk around and like see killian or like you know, Courtney to Walter, just, you know, walking down the street. Like if you don't get that experience, UTMB week anymore, does that discourage people from going? I'll say a couple things. Uh, Luke, you said this in the Olympic segment that there's a lot of confusion about what counts. And I agree. And I would add, there's also like hesitation about what counts as well due to just like the limits of geography and traveling to races. So elites will like make their own meaning at other races, like ultra trail Cape town or the world mountain running 80 K champs, or like Brett, for example, is going to the Havelina hundred at the end of the year to chase a golden ticket at Western. There's a couple things. I, I think that these rules make sense like 20 years from now, but they're just doing them too early. So like once there's more geographies represented, regions represented, we're like, a runner can travel like 30 minutes from their home to go to a qualifying race. That makes sense to me that UTMB would start this funnel. But in in the current setup where like if you're in Arizona and you have to travel to like Southern Mexico to get in or up to Northern Utah to get in, that, that seems prohibitive to me. And then the other piece is like just further contributing to the dilution of competition. So like it's a shame that we may never see, for example, the combination of like Tim Tollefson, Jim Walmsley, Hayden Hawks, Killian, Francois, et cetera, on the same start line. And they may decide from 2023 onward to just go to races that make other sense because they were like shut out of the qualification system. Again, maybe 20 years down the road when this system is more firmly in place, you have that sort of like 20 to 25 golden ticket equivalent series where the top three runners at each UTMB event punch their ticket to Chamonix. But until then, I feel like we're just needlessly diluting the top end of the race. And then we're making it harder for non-elites to like never get in just because they're probably less inclined to travel. So it's a bad situation all around, I think. Yeah, I think think my qualms with UTMB is that they are the leader in our sport, right? Like, regardless of like why they got to that position that I'd be very fascinated to like see a case study on how UTMB kind of like captured our focus as a race versus other races. Um, but they are the leader. They're the, the 
one of the biggest voices in the sport to, to decide how it grows, right? We're at this kind of pinnacle in the sport where there's a ton of different ways we can go. And there's a ton of different kind of opportunities and, and the probably pitfalls as well as the sport grows. And I feel like UTMB is not seeing, is not making decisions for the, the best of the sport, but is making decisions for the best of their own pockets. Yeah. And like that for me, that's a hard place. And I think maybe, maybe it might just be something on my, my part where I saw them as kind of an altruistic kind of like governing body and they're not their business. And that I think prize a lot of us as like the true grassroots runner kind of sees races as this kind of third party, um, innocent, innocent, like provider that helps us grow the sport in reality, their business. So give them credit for that. But the other part of it is like, like you're saying, Finn, like competition, you think of like marathon running, the majors are six races that everyone agrees upon are the great races. And, and there's a point system that kind of gets to the best of the best and like how you qualify um, out of those six races. But at the end of the day, if you are a pro runner and you want to race the best of the best, you're going to go to those races. You're not going to go to the Portland marathon and say, you won the Portland marathon and rah, rah. You're going to be like, okay, did you, how'd you do at London? How'd you do at Boston? And they are different courses, but it's been agreed upon that those are the races. And the beauty of that is as a pro runner, you could have appearance fees, but regardless of like that, you're almost being invited and, and drawn in trying to give like those incentives to bring runners to that race so that your competition is greatest. It feels like our greatest races are almost doing the opposite and pushing out the greatest and saying, Hey, we actually don't want to incentivize you to come here, um, which I feel like in the U.S. it makes sense because there's restrictions on permitting for that reasoning, and, and they have to understand the, the balance of pros versus um, locals. I personally thought Western states would be a great race if it was only pros, but I know that's a very controversial opinion. Um, and I think UTMB was that place where we got to see F1, who's the best of the best race, and I don't think the current system – is kind of kind of allowing that i kind of secretly hope that they shoot themselves in the foot and still are a great race in years to come but another race pops up that actually has the heart and soul of the sport and wants what's best to grow as an international body but that might just be a a little bit of a daydream yeah maybe it's not so much uh that utmb as a race like has their downfall but maybe just like a, a personnel change in the future. Like maybe it just will take the right set of people to, I guess, run the race we want them to. <laughs> I just had Des Linden on the podcast who uh, I know both of you know, and she's one of the most influential runners in our sport. And she's making this move into trail running. And you know, I know she was over in Chamonix last year. So I know she knows what all the magic is about over there. And I know she's considering running OCC next year and she's going to have to jump through X, Y, Z hoops to make it happen. And all I want to say, and maybe I'm shouting this out into the ether, but if the UTMB organization doesn't find a way to get her a spot in that race, they're crazy because it hurts our sport when someone of her stature and her ability to increase the number of participants in the sport isn't involved. I just can't think of a a, a bigger blunder, at least from like a inclusion of athletes into the race standpoint. So I wanted to say that, and that's probably my hot take for the episode. It's not even that hot in my opinion. Athletes I heard they flat out, they flat out refused her this year. 
Wow. So, so that, that's an interesting hot take as well. Yeah. You have no, you have no UTMB ranking. <laughs> You're a nobody. Uh, so, you know, maybe we, we, we need to get some visionaries in there that like, that are thinking long-term and about growth and uh, positive impact. But the second thing, um, you know, there's a really important or historically important race that's happening in late November and that's ultra trail Cape town. It's always had pretty solid fields. You know, Jim and Courtney have won it in recent years and athletes at the end of the day vote with their feet. You know, you hear the term, vote with your dollars, they vote with their feet in our sport. And I think that the okay. number of, the number of elite athletes on the starting line of ultra trail Cape town, I think is going to be really indicative of, uh, of buy-in for this UTMB system because there's other competing UTMB qualifier events happening right around the same time. UTMB Mexico, for example, I just don't see a very strong elite field in, in that race. And uh, so I, I would encourage listeners and viewers to to pay attention to that race and to see um, if a lot of the similar household names in our sport are on that start line, because I think it's going to speak volumes. Yeah, a little secret on that. If you guys want to, if you're an athlete wanting to get to UTMB, go race uh, UTMB Mexico, get a top ten spot, and get a free entry into UTMB. Not a bad idea. Is it top ten? Is it top? Yeah, is it top ten? I think it's a, I think it's a World Series, right? Isn't it? The World World Series are top tens, and if it's a, I thought there's it's like three. two levels. The top three is like for the lower level of UTMBs, and then like there's like the World Series that's top ten. So there's like two tiers of races. Okay. The other thing on UTMB wow. I'll say before we need to move on is I think their overall approach to the sport is just hard to not get a bitter taste in your mouth sometimes, like from a media perspective. Um, I'm not sure if people know, but like for a brand to photograph or tell the stories of their athletes at UTMB, they're required to purchase a media pass for their media. And that media pass, I think the bottom bracket's 5,000. So if they wanted to hire me to go shoot the race, not only are they having to to pay me for whatever my services are, but they're having to kind of like get that entry level media pass. And I think it goes up, I can't remember, it's changed, but it goes up to like five grand is the lowest and 20 grand is the highest. And 20 grand, you're allowed to like use the UTMB logo in video. But previous year, it's changed with like Instagram kind of adapting and changing with reels and stories. But previously, video, you'd had to pay like a separate category to do video. And there's been a lot of tension within the media pool about that. And they give different badges for different levels of like buy in. These aren't sponsors, this is just getting mm. media accreditation. So, like, that alone is just interesting because it, I kind of understand it because the other brands are cat like, I don't know, Adidas is capitalizing off of Hoka sponsorship of UTMB and UTB's work by getting kind of eyes on their athletes through that event. But that's kind of all events. And so it's a really interesting landscape. It doesn't really encourage creatives or media to really um, have a warm, fuzzy feeling when they're covering the race. Just there's just so many restrictions. Um, and that right there doesn't feel like an entity that wants to bring the most eyes to the sport. It feels like more entity that wants to make the most money off of those eyes on the sport. Huh? Yeah. Are, are there other races or events that you've been to that have restrictions or like essentially like licensing fees like that? Or is, is UTMB the only one? It's the one I've 
seen from road and trail other ones it's like if you're a sponsor you have to pay um Uh but like my my workaround with that is like you get a media accreditation through a media outlet and then so if you're shooting for new york times then they'll give you a free pass versus but it's a lower it's a lower tier it's not the same tier as a branded pass um but like western states is they might restrict the number of media just because it's a more controlled environment but there's no Uh There's no yeah, because like, like at the end tag. of the day, at the end of the day, even if you're shooting for Adidas at a Hoka event or anything like that, you're still ultimately going to be taking pictures and capturing media at that race, and anything that eventually gets published is still going to be like so and so coming up over Grand Colferre at UTMB. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess there's not value in that. One quick thing, the, the $5,000 price tag, I appreciate the, the, uh, use of like exact numbers there. That's, that blows my mind because like off the top of my head, I can't think of very many media outlets in our sport, let alone individual creators that could foot that bill. That's very so, interesting. So that's, that's brands. So like to, to get brands. a media okay. pass, okay. you apply under an entity. And so usually if you apply like Luke Webster wants to photograph this race because Luke Webster wants to photograph it. You're not going to get an accreditation. So like you have two avenues. It's like find a media house, like Iron Far or like outside or runner's world or find a brand. The, the media journalistic side get free access at a lower tier access. Basically you get different type of armband Um, and the brands get the higher tier, but the brands have to pay the editorial. doesn't. So like Iron Far can still get, however many they need because they're not a brand they're just like a journalistic media entity um but if you're a brand wanting to do it and so you can definitely do workarounds like but in in the past they've been strict that's why you don't see small brands like i don't know innovate or something like that really having much presence unless they kind of cowboy style it and hope not to get caught um (laughs) which happens that would be an awesome content kind of why (laughs) Cowboy content. <laughs> well, then, then they then they can find the brand or make it harder on the athletes. So it's usually this kind of weird. It's not official, but if if the brand does something bad during UTMB, they can't really like pun- punish the brand, but they can definitely make it challenging for the athletes. So on like a larger brand scale, there's this t- tons of stuff behind the scenes of like, oh, we decided to cover the public buses. I'm not going to name brands on this one, but cover the public buses in our branding. But the Pilates mm-hmm. didn't like that. So it's not, they have no control of the buses, but if we go against their wishes, then they could make it hard for us in future years. So we'll go with what they tell us to do. So it's this whole like interesting landscape of media. Yeah. You, your boy Scott Jerk should. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Your boy Scott Jerk should make a meme. You know, the, you know that like a, it's like the Liam Neeson meme. It's like you shot photos at our event, and I will find you. <laughs> I have a particular Pretty set much. of skills. I have a particular set of skills. I won't let you as an elite into next year's event. Um, oh my gosh! Well, with that uh, all said, UTMB is a super special event, and like I think it has every criteria to be the home of our sport, and like. You finish in 
1600 place at UTMB and you get the same amazing elative experience as finishing first or second. And I think that's like something that very few races offer. And it, it, it has all the potential to be the pinnacle of trail running. I just really hope that they carry that weight well and realize that they do have a lot of power in kind of growing our sport and they have a lot of power of also like hurting our sport. So yeah, there's a caveat. What an awesome time this is in our sport where everything is so consequential. And I feel like once we, once the dust settles on, however, the UTMB question pans out, things are going to be super standardized, set in stone, et cetera, for like the following two to three decades. So there's a lot of change making ability, like in the next, I would say one, two, three, four, five years. And then it, then it becomes like a competitor trying to unseat the NFL or the NBA. Like right now it's like NBA, ABA and like things are kind of up in the air, but like then it becomes set in stone. So we have the power. right. And now. We don't really need to get into this right now, but the whole conversation of what does Ironman involvement look like and how is that changing? And, and I know I've, I've, I've heard and talked to people about what, their goals are moving forward and kind of what events they're looking at next, but that's a whole different wormhole to get into or a can of worms to get into of like, how does that impact what UTMB does and how much of the Ironman involvement is behind the UTMB move to a bigger series since Ironman and Hoka were working together far before Hoka became a sponsor of UTMB and before Ironman bought UTMB. So Let's, uh, conversation. Yeah. Well, that's why we, you know, we'll do that on episode eight or nine. This is, this is a, this is an infinite conversation here at long run archives. Let's talk about media coverage though. I know that you had this other topic of like, what's the best way to cover races. And I know that we've been incessantly talking about live streams the last couple months, but, uh, Brett, you want to kick this one off? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny cause like we're talking about all these like, you know, problems and, uh, you know, obstacles that go into, create it like media content for say UTMB and yet they seem to be the race that has the best content they're crushing to follow the race like from from a viewer standpoint I was like this has been the best race all it's year amazing to just watch as a fan um and you know a race that big you know creates so many hurdles in regards to doing you know, covering a race in a way that they did, like that is a monumental effort, like something that like you just can't even do in the States right now. Um, but for, is that the only way to, is that the best way to watch sport? Is there a best way to cover, say something that takes 20 to 30 hours? Well, I'll say this. Um, and I think I actually mentioned this on, I can't remember who I was talking to on the podcast, but I think, you know, Dylan Bowman, he talked about, you know, wishing he had been over in Chamonix this year, but he just had a baby and he had other obligations. Ironically, I actually think he was in the best possible place to do his job of covering the race, which was his podcast studio in Portland, Oregon, because UTMB's coverage was so good. He had bird's eye view from his laptop or his desktop for the entire duration of, of his commentary. Whereas, you know, I was there in person, but I had to jump from aid station to aid station. That was incredibly inefficient. I could only really see the race from the ground level. Cell phone reception wasn't great. So it's amazing that our technology has gotten to a point where 
maybe we are better off with a scenario where like there's like this main commentator person in a studio location. Maybe you do have some like equivalent sideline reporters at aid stations and then runners in between, maybe some drone technology that's like dropping in and trying to capture the sight sound scenes. But that seemed to be a breakthrough moment for me where you didn't need to like be there because historically, like we've relied on, I run far, you know, uh, Brian and Megan traveling over there and live tweeting. But um, I think Dylan, for example, proved that you can do it remotely, which is very interesting. Yeah, they did a phenomenal job this year. Um, even just seeing on the ground in the in the media kind of center, how many screens and different people and charging stations. And it was just probably a team of 40 or 50 people kind of constantly cycling through putting that on. And they also had it in different languages as well. So like huge, huge shout out to them for really crushing that. Um, yeah, I think the media landscape is interesting. I think you have... Like we like lay it out in front of us. We have the 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 live stream, which I think is like a new addition, um, and and UTMB kind of the pinnacle of that. But with with kind of what Free Trail is doing, and with Western States kind of being close second, um, and then you you have um, I would say this like middle category, which Golden Trail series I I would say is like doing a really interesting style of media around races that granted from an American audience doesn't hit home as much like the style of editing they do for their highlights and commentation is not the same as what an American audience like appreciates. It's way more intense Euro, but they do a really good job of kind of covering the event mood. Their live isn't as good, but they're doing these highlight reels where it's like you miss the soccer game. You can go and watch how Chelsea beat Milan today, you know, and like watch that in a really beautiful 10 minute piece. And I think, that's the style that Golden Trail Series has done, which is honestly for a lot of people probably the most digestible form of race coverage. Um, and then kind of like you were saying, then you kind of go down down the, I guess, production value and you have kind of people, I don't know who else does this, Sean Hayworth who goes to races and covers it with his sto- Instagram story and captures it and kind of maybe not on an emotion side, but on a, on an information side, Iron Far has kind of been the, the gold standard of information. Like even now, like this year at Hard Rock and at Western States, we were all still checking their information and, and trying to be like, even Dylan and Corinne were checking their information to kind of be like, okay, Megan says this, we're seeing this. Um, so you kind of have this really interesting from a live coverage standpoint spectrum um, and I don't really know what the future is. I think live stream is a very, is a very great medium for the ultra nerds us, but it's not great for the people who are getting into the sport. Very few people are going to sit down for 24 hours and and watch it. So then the highlight reel is kind of the key part. I think iron far and the gradient greater media landscape is something that I'm really interested in as someone working in the freelance space is like who is going to lead the voice of trail running from like a content standpoint, right? Like we had trail runner magazine. We still have trail runner magazine. Sorry. We have like the ultra runner magazine, ultra magazine. You have iron far, um, you have free trail and kind of that landscape is really interesting. I think there still stands to be one home for trail running. I think, trail runner in my opinion used to be really good with the outside purchase and outside kind of being 
maybe on the rocks might not be the place where we get that anymore. I think Iron Far is still the premium of information. I don't think they're necessarily going to last in their current form too much longer as a home unless they can really kind of grow their kind of offerings. And so then it leaves like people like Free Trail or podcasts and people like Youth End of like, okay, who is going to kind of own the culture side of our sport? Who's going to own where you go when you want to look at like how many pre-race interviews are there? There's kind of hundreds. And so like, who's going to own that? And kind of with that, is there going to be a home for culture on the media side? Um, and who, who will it be? Any thoughts, Brett? <laughs> that was a lot, uh, sorry. No, yeah, I mean, no, no, no. yeah, it's funny, like, even as like a true ultra running nerd and student of the sport, I only have so many weeks or weekends in a year where I can sit down and watch a 24 hour live stream. Um, like it just like, like I'll do it. I'll do it for like, you know, Western States, UTMB or like I'll pick two, which, and perhaps that's just coming into the sport at the height of Iron Far and the way they paint the picture of the race on Twitter. But I love that um, because I can set, you know, I can turn off all Twitter notifications except for I run far and go about my day. And whenever my phone chimes, my I run far ringtone, I'm just like, Ooh, I can just catch a quick update of the race and then keep painting that picture in my head. They include pictures. They're there. They're like, Oh, so-and-so looks like shit. So-and-so looks great. Like I like that's, that's almost enough like stimulus for me. And I, I, I see opportunities where that package can grow. I mean, you know, like ESPN and NBC, they're able to cut together an entire yes. first half highlight reel for a football game. And right as soon as the second quarter ends, they're able to show every single important piece that happened right there. Like, so if, if they can do that, how can we not, you know, capture say, footage up through you know if we're talking western states robinson flat you know mile 30 maybe there's bits and pieces of coverage that's getting loaded somewhere and getting thrown together into like a couple minute highlight reel that gets put up then and then again for forest hill and then again for the river and then again for the finish and then you get to make a big one there's something that's nearly happening live then because you know it's not like you watch your football game on Sunday and you don't see the highlights for the game until next week. You see the highlights while you're watching the game. If I, I see that being potentially a really cool next step for the person that wants to follow the race, but not be completely 100% attentive for 30 hours. I freaking love that idea. I think we talked about that, Brett, you and I, it might, you might've even brought it up in like long run archives number two, because we were talking about the Cocodona 250 and how we would love to have like that summary nightly recap. Oh, the like Hunger like Games canon. The Hunger Games type thing. Yeah. I think that that's brilliant. I think another version too is like, uh, like if, if you're a fan of the NFL, they have this thing called red zone where anytime a team is in the, in the oh, red yeah. zone, like within the 10 yard line of, of the end zone, they just immediately cut mm-hmm. to that game and you watch ostensibly the most exciting part of the match. You could have something similar for ultra running where with these live streams, you, you get like, you, you sign up for like a notification where if they can determine that like 
XYZ runners that you're following are within, let's just say like a mile of the aid station, or they're in, in the view of these on race cameras, that's when you tune in, which I think could be very interesting. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead, Brett. Which with, with GPS, we, we have the technology for that. Yeah. I mean, even in like in the tour de France this year, like all the, I don't know if it's their bibs or their bikes, but I know like how many inches behind a one competitor is from the other because of where they are. And they're able to commentate on that. And like all of their, uh, all, a lot of their metrics are being broadcasted too, which is another thing that I think would be really cool for yeah. some of these races. Like you can see, oh, we're starting the Alpe d'Huez climb. And so-and-so is already at 92% of their max heart rate. Yes. And they have, they have 46 more minutes of climb. They're effed. Um, and as a viewer, being able to just see that gauge and that limiter, it, it, like that would be really cool because some runners just have really good poker faces where they might, they might feel like hell, but you'd never know. But if, say, their heart rate was being broadcasted, you could see like, oh my gosh, like Finn, you got to keep pressing on Luke because he's about to pop. But like, you don't know that, but we can tell, like, we're like, it's so close. Like, come on. Okay. One, I, would, I could get behind that. And I know Luke, you're probably going to say something. I got to say one more thing. Imagine if a company like Strava or Koros or any watch company sponsored the event in some capacity and they were tapped into like the athlete's watch and you could overlay on the screen, their pacing data, that heart rate data you oh, mentioned, Brett, or cool. like their GAPs. Whoop, it's like, whoop Jim, did this. Jim Walmsley is running at 610 GAP up cold to sand right now. Like, is that sustainable? Oh, yeah. It would be so fun. Whoop did this, this indoor track season at the Milrose games. Cause oh, they really? were the, like, they were the oh, title right. sponsor of a couple events. Um, so like for the, the Wanamaker miles for the men's and women's miles, I think every single athlete had a whoop band on and it's easier to control because you're on a 200 meter indoor track, but it, you could see all the runners heart rates. So over the course of the race, you know, again, watching people, you know, even for something like a mile, four minutes long for most people, the first two, two and a half minutes are not very exciting, but you can see the intensity on the screen of the various athletes increasing. Like when someone makes their move, you can see their heart rate, like, boop, and like, you know, goes up a little bit. And then you're going into the last lap, like every single person's pinned at 200. Um, it, it, it adds just another dimension to the race. It's really exciting. Luke, you yeah. got anything else? Yeah. I think it kind of brings me back to just the overall conversation of the future of the sport. And I think it's like you brought the tour de France and, and kind of the media coverage they're able to do there is so amazing, but each stage is, is restricted to what five hours at, at the top end, I think five hours. Yeah. And so I think at the end of the day, the hundred mile race is going to be really hard to kind of buy in a larger crowd. Um, and like, we'll, st I mean, personally, I'm, I'm still a huge fan of the hundred mile race, but I think like the most exciting races might end up being, or the most easy to cover and kind of create packaged media around might be those shorter races. Um, from the traditional highlight standpoint, maybe, whereas like the longer races might be more story focused and more kind of larger arcs. Um, but you're, you're able to have people pass you there multiple times. Whereas in a hundred miles, it, I mean, this last year was insane. So that might be a caveat, but usually if someone pulls away and it kind of like 
the cards have been played at mile 70 and that's the race. Whereas a short race, you can have mm-hmm. people going back, kind of like the Tour de France where like you can have back and forth and some attacks and a climb and someone falls back in a descent. That kind of drama continually playing out in live, live action, I think will kind of require the sport if we're trying to find a single distance that kind of can become, I guess, replicable around the world in different formats and different events. Um, Something that's more action packed and shorter. Um, But maybe I'm I'm very wrong on that one. I got one more thing to say here. Uh, Just a couple more random ideas too, actually. So we're we're talking about right now, what we can do to improve the, the in event, the live event experience. And I think, we can also start to consider what we can do pre-race and post-race. And the, the one idea I have for pre-race is our current model for hype is largely restricted to the pre-race interview, which is, and I do these, so I'm shooting myself in the foot, but like, it's pretty vanilla, right? Like it's, it's been tried and true <laughs> for like 20 years or however long running's been, you know, running media has been around. This would be calling on the brands, but I think bringing content creators to the athlete's home location to capture like day in the life type montages pre-race so we can really get like a deep multimedia type view into how they're feeling pre-race. And it's not just dependent on that very, uh, again, vanilla form of communication uh, pre-race. So that that's the first thing. And then second, I want to see more post-race stuff, especially a memorializing of the most important moments in our sports. So like for example, documentaries of athletes recounting like the 2017 UTMB or the 2022 UTMB. And like, we get really into their minds about like what it was like. Like, I, I would love to know like how Tom Evans felt when he was passing Jim Wombsley on that final climb of uh, UTMB this year, or like Katie Scheid and Marianne Hogan going, you know, back and forth. Like we do that in other sports and uh, I'd love to see that. So those are just two more things. Okay. I'll add one more. Um, it has been interesting to see the brands kind of come into the space. And I think um, for me, it's, it's great because it gets me work, but brands have kind of are still trying to find their footing. I think some brands have, but where they play into kind of events, I would say from a content perspective, I think like Adidas has done, I mean, they've done a lot of things really, really well this last couple of years, but their like branded content from a store perspective is really deep and they've, they've kind of, done maybe it's not like as live as you'd want it to be but they've done stories around people's races um and how they did but from a story background perspective and i think whether that's learning about Sabrina stanley's background um or abby hall and kind of learning the more personality side i think that's been i think it's another side of the media landscape that's really important and kind of fills that more human element um and story driven but Brands are moving into kind of trying to figure out how they capitalize off races, right? Whether that's from a social media, um, whether that's from a storytelling, whether that's from their own kind of quasi live coverage um, and updates of, of kind of like, I think that's for me, the big question is like, who is going to own the megaphone of trail running, right? Like yeah. at Western States, you want to find out right away how someone's doing or how the race is going who do you go to, right? Like, and I think that's the question mark that's still interesting to me, like different generations and different geographies would answer that question differently. Like some people would be like, oh, Hoka, because Hoka is sponsoring Western States and they're going to have good stuff. Other people would say like, oh, Iron Far. Someone might say Strava. Someone might say like their own, 
the athlete's Instagram, right? I'll go to Wombs' Instagram because I know there's his crew using it and I'll get actual more personal updates. Um, But that still is like a media landscape that still has opportunity for someone to own. Let me, and this goes out to either of you. Um, Do you, if if we're looking for examples in other sports, are there obvious, clear megaphones in like baseball, basketball, football, et cetera, that have already been established? I I just default to ESPN for like all breaking sports news. But Finn, maybe the single track website needs to just have a resources page for like, you know, it, it, was it a rising tide lifts all boats? Like maybe you just need to have a page of like, this is where you go to follow any of these races. Like, you know, Western States, you have your little tab and then mm. like subgroup of like, I run far, you know, the Western States homepage, like the, their live stream. Of course, all the single track resources, but like giving, giving a place for people to go to. Cause they're like, Oh, I don't know how to follow ultra trail Cape town. I know I'll go to the single track website because they'll tell me how to do it. It's not a bad idea. Finn. I love and it. on that, I think like, I want to call it free trail. Um, and, and directly kind of to Corin and, and uh, Dylan of like, I think a lot of people see them as leaders and um, of course. they've been doing a Oh, sorry, what'd you say? Oh, I said, of course. Oh yeah. And, uh, they've kind of, they've done a lot of really great things. And I think people are still kind of curious to, to what their actual goal is and, and what free trail will kind of s- stake its claim in. I think they've done so many things that it's hard to know exactly what they're doing. Um, but I think with the direction that outside's going and, and the publications they own and that probably not existing in the same form in a few years, I think, free trails in like a really great space to either consolidate and kind of work with iron far and work with people like you to kind of like bring, um, kind of media, maybe not under one roof, but at least kind of like working together to kind of highlight the sport. Um, mm. but yeah, I, I, I'd love to see them or someone like them kind of be, we are the home of trail running mm. culture and racing and athletes and anything you want to go to, to learn about the sport from like a culture perspective, that's where you go. I, I love this conversation. I all the more reason for long run archives number eight, right? Um, but I think I think we got I think we have time for one more topic, uh, and yeah, we'll just have we'll have more material for another episode. But this this last topic uh, is I think well I think it's very interesting. Agents, as in, Luke, you say here, as our sport professionalizes, are agents a necessary evolution? Question mark. Why are they important? Are there other sports to look to for examples um i don't know brett you want to take this one again what do you think what are your what are your initial thoughts so well i get so that like like the first question that like kind of just like paints the picture is like what is the purpose of an agent for an athlete across sports that have agents like what is their purpose um i mean i think i have the answer like luke are you able to answer that or Finn, perhaps better well, than me. First off, what, what do you, what's your what's your what's your working definition? Well, it it seems like from what I've just seen that you you would you would get an agent to create opportunities for you as an athlete because it's you, you're trying hard enough as it is to just become the best at whatever it is that you're doing um, to then have to go and pitch yourself to all these brands and uh, 
convince them what your value is. Um, that's just way too much to put on an athlete for something like, yeah, like the NFL, like, and I don't know, it seems almost more beneficial for you as an athlete to have someone else pitch you and talk you up. Uh, and, and then that, you know, that ultimately creates opportunities. Like in track and field, one of the biggest reasons why someone might have an agent is to create race opportunities. Um, like it's very hard to get a spot on like the diamond league circuit, which is, you know, the most competitive track circuit in the world. And a lot of that's very political. Now, like you better make sure you hire this agent because you want to race these races because they are very in with these meet directors and we'll be able to kind of push you in. I don't really see the sport of trail running, having that issue very much. Like if you want to get into a race, you either just go sign up or email the race director and they get you in. So or I jump guess my through UTMB like, hoops. Yeah. Or like, yeah, jump through all the UTMB hoops, which, you know, if once we figure out what those are, I'll tell anyone what they are, you know, I'm not going to keep that a secret. Um, so I guess the question is like, what, what opportunities for trail runners could an agent provide at this point? Or, you know, does that even exist? I can offer a few thoughts here. I think, and I think this, by the way, I'll preface this by saying, I think it's a totally fair assessment just based on the current state of our sport and what opportunities are there. But I think when most runners think of trail running agents, they immediately go to how much it's going to hurt them financially because, you know, even if you're like a middle tier elite runner, like if if you get offered like a twenty or thirty thousand dollar per year contract, that's that's pretty significant. And and so if an agent is a part of that equation, they're immediately taking like 10, 15, 20% cut, and that's multiple thousands of dollars on already not that much. So they probably think I can't afford it. And like an agent just doesn't have a place in the conversation until like there's just more money in the sport. But I think there's this new generation of agents in the sport. I've actually been talking with a few recently, just actually podcasted with one of them, Tyler from Surveyor Sports Management. They provide more value than just getting athletes through the negotiation process and making sure they get a fair shake and a fair deal. We've seen this with Dylan Bowman, for example. I think there's one of the trends we're going to see in the sport over the next couple of years, decades, is more pro athletes like Dylan who in the later stages of their career, start to build businesses and side hustles that outlast their athleticism, outlast their pro careers and helps them easily transition into other areas of the sport where they can be a value to the community and also self-sustaining from a career standpoint. And so like the agent, when, when the athlete is in like their twenties and their thirties thinking about this, the agent can help them put those processes into place. So like introducing them to the right uh, people, helping them build those businesses, helping them just think strategically about how to put all the pieces together. So um, I think if an athlete is just thinking purely in the short term, like how can they help me negotiate this contract, it might not be worth it. But if you plan to be in the sport infinitely, I think it's immensely worth it. Again, especially as we see this trend of athletes thinking more long-term about what they want to do in the sport, uh, it's, it's going to be huge. And I, think, and I think looking at Dylan uh, is a great example. I think Capra... Be on the lookout for Cap Bradley. I think she's starting to do a bunch of interesting stuff in the space, like building a lot of like media-related stuff. Uh, Corinne, um, Killian, so very, you know, very interesting. Yeah, I think like you're saying, Finn. I think a 
Adrian does more than just works on contracts. And I think that is one, I think if we break it down, I think that's one avenue that we do need in our sport. And I think we talked about this a little bit, Finn, um, off the podcast is that Iron Far kind of published a Trail Sisters kind of survey a few years back on kind of yeah. the equity and, and pay um, disparity in the sport. And it was super interesting and interesting to learn about kind of where those, how much people make and, and where those disparities lie. And I think an agent, first of all, gives you more insight into how much you should get paid and how much others are getting paid. And I think that's something that as the sport grows, those numbers are changing drastically, right? An athlete that was five years ago in the sport is now five years better, but also the sport has matured five years. So like signing a three or four year contract right now could be very detrimental to your long-term kind of like net worth as an athlete. And so I think that they understand kind of the greater ecosystem because they see all different aspects of kind of the pay structure with your your direct sponsor or with other sponsors. So I think that's like the first one that's just good as a whole in a sport where that's like agents bring that, or we have some sort of third party that decides to do a survey and release all this information so that um, people can understand how much they're getting paid and how much they should get paid. Um, I'd say for everyone else that doesn't know, most contracts have NDAs that restrict you from talking about any of your contract with other people they even restrict you from talking to your friends about it. Um, technically, that information is not shareable. So understanding hmm. if your contract is fair is a very hard thing to figure out without an agent. Um, I think that's like the first... Oh, sorry, go for it, Finn. I was going to say, and liabilities too. Like, what are you liable for in that relationship? I think there's a whole deep end there. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, totally. You, you talked about a lot say, of... It's- it's it's so hard to know too. Like, there's so many up and coming trail runners who like deserve to have a sponsor or a contract, but have no idea. Like, w- if I approach a company and like pitch myself to them, and I do a good job of that, and then they're like, "Okay, what do you want?" How are they supposed to know what their worth or their value is? I mean, it's I guess it's not particularly healthy to tie your worth to a dollar value. But uh, from like, you know, for the sake of trying to make a living off the sport, that's, that's really scary to like go up to Hoka and be like, I believe I should get paid $100,000 from mm. you guys. Um, but having some, another party to do that, who has done that before and like has their license for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I said that's, that's the other kind of middle ground that's like the second kind of pillar that an agent brings is um is being able to talk about you as a third party i think it's all like all of us it's hard to understand our own worth um whether that's from like a humility side or just like we don't know and so an agent's able to be like no i'm going to speak with this brand in a very professional way about what you're worth so Mm -hmm. the athlete can still maintain their athlete standing with that athlete manager they can still be friends with that person go for a run have meetings and Mm -hmm. the awkwardness it takes to kind of approach someone and be like hey you're screwing me over in this contract as a friend that's a very hard conversation as an agent to a sponsor, it's a very normal conversation. Um, And so I think that's a huge part of just being like an objective third party. And in that, I think an agent can 
a good agent understands what you bring to a brand outside of performance, right? Like our, our media landscapes changing, our athlete landscapes changing, what an athlete brings to the table is not just podiums. It's their community involvement. It's their voice in the sport. It's sadly their, their Instagram following and, and that, that aspect. And so understanding, okay, maybe my athlete and, and Finn, it's been insightful hearing you talk to these different athlete managers, maybe my athlete podiums, but really doesn't want to have media um, interactions. They're going to build a contract that kind of is, is based around those podiums and building bonuses that really focus on that. Or maybe it's an athlete that's aging and they have a massive legacy following, right? They're a legacy athlete that's had a huge career and, and mm. maybe a bonus system built off of podiums is no longer relevant, but they, they get brought on the ritual podcast and that has how many millions of listeners. And so maybe the, the bonus is built into that. And so I think a, an athlete manager sees, or sorry, a, an agent sees each athlete and kind of the variety of what they yeah. bring to the table and can kind of like give oh, a sure. commercial value to that. Um, and then thirdly, which really hasn't happened yet so much in trail running is, is seeing an athlete and what voice they bring outside of kind of like traditional, I don't know, brand exposure. So I think of like Josh Cox, who's a pretty well-known kind of track and road agent and how much he's like, okay, what PR exposure, what journalistic exposure, how can I get my athlete? How can Sarah Hall get on the Today Show? How can, and kind of utilizing, seeing the athlete as, as, a, as a leader outside of their athletic performance and really bringing opportunities to them. So that agent hypothetically can bring exposure to that person and to the sport. Um, like I think about like Courtney or Killian, if they were if their agent were able to like get them outside of um, just the the sports media, right? Like approach Red Bull and be like, "Hey, do you guys want to do a profile piece on my athlete? Here's the access." I think that's the third thing that agent really brings is kind of thinking outside the box and how to get exposure to their athletes. Because at the end of the day, the more exposure the athlete gets, the more money the brand is getting or value the brand's getting off of that. And then the more worth the athlete has to the brand long-term. So I think they're super important. I'm just not sure how we start getting into that. Cause we don't have that many agents in the sport yet. Um, so it's like interesting to see who will kind of start taking that and how many athletes are wanting that right now. Mm. Brett, any final thoughts? Yeah, it's, yeah, that's a good point. Like, You'd think that if the sport of trail running was a lucrative enough business, agents would just be popping up and approaching athletes that don't have them. But since that's not happening, does that just mean that the sport as a whole is not quite to that level yet? Or is it, is it really actually just a missed opportunity where some of these like agents that represent track and field and road racing athletes are they're just simply missing upon that because they haven't made that decision to dive into the world of trail running. This has been an awesome conversation. I feel like we covered great topics. Luke, huge kudos to you for, for coming on here, knocking it out of the park. We, I think I speak for Brett and I, when we say we really appreciate your presence and your contributions and uh, hope that you'll, uh, you'll be a, you'll be a frequent returnee on this series. I'm always listening. So I'll always return that way. <laughs> um, I think regardless, it's a fun time in the sport. And I think 
that's for everyone, whether that's like you're just getting into running trail races or you're top of the top of the pack at the biggest races where we're kind of in this turning point that the, our generation of runners is kind of deciding what the future is. And so that's just exciting in general. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Brett, any, uh, any final thoughts on your end before we, we close up here? There, I mean, great conversations all around. It's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I already can't wait for the next episode. I mean, there's, like you said, there's an infinite amount of conversation in this avenue of fiction and non-fictional debate of trail and ultra running. I got to give the audience a little bit of a preview, Brett. I know you're, you're aware. Um, Danny Marino had this awesome Instagram post a couple of days ago where she proposed and Luca, yeah, you saw it too. She proposed this idea of a battle of the brands where essentially you take each brand stable of athletes, you plug them into their best performing race distances and you have just like a face off. And, uh, we're working on scheduling a future long run archives episode where Danny comes on and we sort of like live draft these teams and explain our whys and uh, mm-hmm. we see how it all plays out. So we're all, we're always, we're always thinking of new ways to shake up the long run archives. And I think that could be a fun one. Yep, definitely. And for anyone who's uh, made it this far in this episode, which I'm assuming is everybody, <laughs> everybody uh, who, who would ever drop <laughs> off? <laughs> what, it, what, what do you want to see in battle of the brands? Like, yeah, go, go check out Danny Moreno's post um and some of her ideas and there's some great you know ideas as well in the comments but you know let us know what you think like what can be added to battle of the brands to make this just the ultimate race i don't know i don't even know what it is at this point festival like it's gonna be awesome awesome well brett thank you as always frequent co-host and uh luke thank you man seriously we'd love to have you back on again at some point and uh Thanks for everything you do, man. I, lo- I love your your angle as a photographer and just someone that's interested in the sport. So well, well made points today. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a blast. All right. One last thing before we go, I wanted to repeat what I mentioned at the top of the podcast. If you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting Single Track with a rating on Apple or Spotify, a small donation on Patreon, or the use of our discount codes, all of which are linked in the show notes with Inside Tracker, Gnarly Nutrition, and Kodiak Kicks. As always, thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your support. It truly means everything. And yeah, we'll catch you on the next episode.